And welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast. Baseball is back, believe it or not. We finally made it to a deal between the players and the owners. It took some swift action from the commissioner after going back and forth on rejecting deals from both ends. I'm just glad that all of that is over. Of course, we still have some hurdles to make sure that everybody is healthy. We don't want to see an uptick in cases, but for now, let's be optimistic. Let's assume baseball is going to be back, and let's get excited because there's every reason to be excited right now. I know the rules and everything are very complicated. I'm going to get into all of those and how they will apply to the Marlins, what kind of decisions the Marlins will have to make, and why I think that these expanded rosters plus the DH will actually make some of those decisions a lot easier for the Marlins. This episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On. that's one word, Locked On, and you'll get $10 off your first order. So a 60-game season, just a little bit more than a third of what we normally play at 162, but 60 is more than zero, and I'm sure we'll all take that right now. With the roster rules, that's where it gets a little bit interesting. I mentioned earlier the DH will be applied to the National League for the next two years, which I expect will probably be the case for the remainder of time. I would be very surprised to see the National League want to go back away from the DH after doing it for these two years here and with a full season expected next year with the designated hitter. I believe the results will be good. I will miss some of the strategic elements to it, which I'll get into in another podcast, but as it stands for the Marlins right now with their roster situation, the DH is actually very helpful. Another big factor that goes into some of the decision-making is that the first two weeks of the season, the roster limit is set at 30, which is up from 26 that it was last year. That will make things a little bit easier with some of the decisions that the Marlins have to make in regards to the veterans and whether to carry some of the young players on the roster. The challenge, however, will be the fact that the roster maximum does dwindle, meaning that from 30, after two weeks, it will be cut down to 28 and then later reduced to 26 for the rest of the year, that's September included. So the first two weeks, the Marlins are going to have to figure out which two players they want to cut. So the good news is they have two weeks to figure that out. But the bad news is that's not a lot of time to decide on some of these players. And that's where a lot of decisions come into effect. The word cut might not be the right word to use because there's an important other detail to what's going on here with the rules and regulations. And it's the fact that you are allowed as a major league team to have a taxi squad which means you will have 30 players that will travel, not travel, three of those players from the taxi squad will be allowed to travel with the team. The 30 players in the taxi squad are able to, I would guess, scrimmage the team, practice with the team, and get reps. Who are the candidates for the taxi squad? It will be made up of, I would assume, a lot of different types of players because while we are expecting to not have a minor league season, it would make sense to have a lot of your young prospects, the J.J. Bledes, Max Meyer, Jazz Chisholm, Braxton Garrett, Trevor Rogers, Connor Scott, just to name a few. While most of those guys, if not all of them, will probably not make their big league debut, while you could maybe make the case that Jazz Chisholm could later this year, the rest almost definitely will not this year. But they're so important in terms of their development and making sure that they stay on track for the Marlins window of the next couple years that you want to keep them getting those reps. So if they're able to get some 
scrimmage games, scrimmage at-bats against some of the Marlins big leaguers or at the very least other players of the taxi squad. It's better than just hitting in a cage or running simulated games with whoever you can, which most of the Marlins organization and some of the lower-level prospects will be forced to do. If the Marlins decide that when the roster dwindles by a couple to maybe send some of those veterans to the taxi squad and swap them out for a couple young guys if the veterans are underperforming, that could be an option because do the veterans accept that designation? Maybe in a regular season they don't. A guy like Matt Kemp will say, just release me and I'll pick it up with somebody else. But in a season like this, I think you're just going to take what you can get. And if Matt Kemp, Sean Rodriguez, John Birdie get designated to the taxi squad, I'm not sure how that works with options, you know, with certain prospects. If they don't have an option left, I don't know if that counts as the same as sending them to the minor leagues. Those are some other things we're going to have to find out, and I'll have to do some more reading and find that out for you guys. But regardless, as the roster dwindles from 30, the Marlins are going to have to figure things out. I'll start with the rotation, because that seems like one of the more easy areas to figure it out, and I'll tell you how we quickly get to 30 players and who those fringe guys may be and how I think the Marlins may go about it. The rotation in no order, all of this is going to be in no order because I just filled this out in terms of who I knew was a lock and then went from there on. Sandy Alcantara will be in the rotation. Pablo Lopez will be in the rotation. Caleb Smith, Jordan Yamamoto, and Jose Urania. Those are the five guys I believe will be in the starting rotation to start the year. Going to the bullpen, Brandon Kinsler, the new addition from the offseason. Ryan Stanick from last year in the trade with the Rays that also brought over Jesus Sanchez, who I will get into later as one of those fringe guys. Then Yimmy Garcia, another offseason acquisition. I'm reminding you guys of where some of these guys came from because it's easy to forget after how long it's been since the offseason. But it's hard to believe after all this time, some of these guys have still not made their Marlins debuts. Another offseason acquisition via the Rule 5 draft, Sterling Sharp. Then you got Adam Conley, who is pretty much on his last leg here. He needs to either prove that he can figure it out as a left-hander out of the bullpen, or he could be one of the players that gets cut by the Marlins because the next guy, Stephen Tarpley, was brought on in the offseason from the Yankees, another left-hander who the Marlins are very high on and feel that he could be what they have been missing in terms of a solid lefty out of the bullpen. Then you got Elysia Hernandez, who could make some spot starts and fills an important role in a season like this where you might need some spot starts, you might need a long reliever to preserve your bullpen. It's 60 games in 66 days, and that's where a guy like Robert Duggar is also important. Believe it or not, I just named 13 pitchers just like that. So what happens with Brad Boxberger? Boxberger was spectacular in spring training, and he has every opportunity to make this ball club. I think he will be on the Major League Ball Club at some point, but who are you going to take out from that list that I just named to give Brad Boxberger a spot? I think for now, Boxberger may start on the taxi squad uh, where he would accept that designation. This was a guy who was almost out of baseball, and while he might be upset with that, I would assume he takes that designation, and it's great for the Marlins because they have another bullpen arm, assuming that one of those arms struggle to start the year the Marlins can decide whether to send one of the younger players to the taxi squad or just outright release or trade one of the relievers Adam Conley a candidate Sterling Sharp if he is not as good or ready as the Marlins think he could be he could be a candidate to go to the taxi squad Elysia Hernandez 
could end up going to the rotation to fill in if somebody gets hurt in the rotation. There's a lot of moving parts that would get Brad Boxberger onto the team, but I think that the Marlins will keep him no matter what. He's earned a spot in at least that extended taxi squad roster and on the 40-man roster. As for the lineup, that's where things get interesting. I think the starting nine is pretty clear-cut for me, and it would change based on whatever pitcher they're facing and things like that, but just a traditional lineup that I think will roll forward. This isn't in the order of what I actually think the lineup will be, but I'm just going by position here. Shortstop Miguel Rojas, third base Brian Anderson, first base Jesus Aguilar, second base Aizen Diaz, DH will be Jonathan Villar, and I'll talk to you about that after I finish the lineup. Catcher Jorge Alfaro, then the outfield trio of Corey Dickerson, Lewis Brinson, and Garrett Cooper. Lewis Brinson needs to be in the lineup starting day one. This is a shortened season, and the Marlins need to figure out what they have in Lewis Brinson. He's about to turn 26. He's made a lot of adjustments in his swing, and I've talked about this in the past during spring training and why this might be different for him, why these adjustments seem different than the past. While we've heard this story before, whatever you believe, the reality is the Marlins have way too much invested in Brinson in terms of how much they gave up for him as he was the centerpiece of the Yelich trade, and he's going to get every opportunity to prove that he can do it. And that's also paired with the fact that he is a plus defensive outfielder. He is a great athlete and he has a great makeup and he's great for the clubhouse. So that's a guy that you want to succeed and the Marlins are going to give him one last chance. This is the last leg for Lewis Brinson, as I said, for Adam Connolly, but even more for Brinson. And he deserves, after what he did in spring training, one last shot to show it. And I'm hoping that he puts it together. But at the very least, at the worst case scenario, the Marlins can finally figure out what to do moving forward, whether that is move on from Brinson or find out that he figured it out like a Byron Buxton type. And now he has a spot in the lineup for the foreseeable future. But at the very least, the great part about having a season now is that we will have a decision on Lewis Brinson moving into 2021, which will keep things a little bit less complicated with the crowded outfield of prospects that we have coming up. Then you have Jonathan VR. Why do I have him at DH? Well, I took a look at the defensive statistics for VR and he really isn't good at any position. I do appreciate the fact that he can play so many different positions, but he's almost positionless. It's one of those cases where he plays so many positions that he really hasn't spent enough time at one of them to be good. If you look at any of the advanced stats at shortstop, second base, outfield, he is well below the league average. And the Marlins have a lot of solid defenders at every spot, whether it's Brian Anderson at third base, he is a plus defender. And that's one of the spots where he would have probably ended up. Isan Diaz, the other position where VR would probably play, is another very solid defender over at second. So that is another spot where you're going to side with the defense. But if Isan Diaz continues to struggle as he did in his debut last year, then the Marlins will probably have to slide VR over there at second or decide to put John Birdie out there. Hopefully that won't be an issue for the Marlins and Diaz will figure it out with the stick. We do know what he's capable of with the bat and he showed it in the minor leagues last year. Then when you look at the outfield, 
Lewis Brinson, as I said, a plus defender. Garrett Cooper, very capable out there, but you could make the case for swapping VR and Cooper if VR shows that he has improved in the outfield. Corey Dickerson is a mixed bag out there. He was a gold glover, strangely enough, but then has been below average at times in the outfield, but regardless, much better than VR and has shown flashes of being much better than VR in the outfield already. So that sets us at 22 players, just like that, without Brad Boxberger being on the roster, which leaves us with eight players to fill out for the bench. The bench, I'll go with the shoe-ins for now. Matt Joyce, he is going to be on the bench and likely get a solid amount of at-bats this year. I wanted to say two, 300, but that's what an everyday player is going to get. But you can scale it down. And what a platoon type of player will get, that's what Joyce will end up probably seeing at the plate, especially with some tough right-handers against guys like Lewis Brinson, who aren't comfortable against some really good right-handers, or Jesus Aguilar. We'll see what the Marlins decide to do, but I do know Matt Joyce will be used, whether it's as a pinch hitter, despite the DH use, or as a spot starter. Harold Ramirez is a great fourth outfield option as well, really athletic, and was one of the highlights of the Marlins last year offensively. Again, another guy who struggles in the outfield and is a little bit positionless as well. They experimented him in center field. I thought that was terrible. It was cool to see, I guess, what he can do out there to see if he does have the ability to play in center with his speed. And we found out that he does not have the ability to play out there with his speed. So then you got John Birdie, who really ends up being pretty important to this team because they do not have a ton of infield depth if you look beyond considering VR the DH as a potential fill-in infielder. Outside of him, you have John Birdie, and then the next guy is Sean Rodriguez. I would consider all of those guys besides Sean Rodriguez locks to be on the roster, but then the Sean Rodriguez-Matt Kemp combination is very interesting. I think the fact that the Marlins are still holding on to them right now, seeing how much the Marlins have marketed Matt Kemp on social media leads me to believe that they might want to hold on to him. I do know that there's been a little bit more of Matt Kemp shown on Instagram and Twitter because of the Black Lives Matter movement, which has been great to see. And the Marlins have given a voice to all of the black players in their organization, whether it's some minor leaguers or longtime veterans like Matt Kemp. But the Marlins were also marketing Matt Kemp well before all of this really came to light. But Again, I can hedge that with saying the Marlins were marketing Peter O'Brien pretty heavily last year, and he got the axe pretty quickly too. So we'll see what happens in that regard. But I think it's safe to say even before all of this and this huge movement that Sean Rodriguez was not getting as much airtime on social media than Matt Kemp was. And of course, Matt Kemp is a much more household name and a very marketable guy who used to be an all-star in the big leagues. So that's a guy that the Marlins do want to show off a little bit, whether he's able to perform or not. I don't know if he really serves much of a purpose right now for the Marlins because now you have the DH. He's another guy that's kind of pigeonholed to being a DH. He's not very good in the outfield, doesn't move that well anymore. And you already have enough candidates that can slot into DH and don't really offer a ton on the defensive end of things with Harold Ramirez. And I just don't really know if that really brings much value to the Marlins. And then you look at Magnera Sierra, a speedster who will definitely help the Marlins as another outfielder that can fill in or a pinch runner or just a late game substitution, another really good defender. 
But that leaves the Marlins with just a couple more spots with the 30-man roster. And that's where things get interesting, right? You got two more spots. And one of them is already guaranteed because it's a backup catcher with Francisco Cervelli. You got one more spot. For me, this last spot, because it has to be a position player, remember, 13 maximum on the pitchers, which we already hit, it's Monte Harrison. And I will tell you why Monte Harrison belongs on the roster day one on the other side of the break. As always, you know I have to tell you about how good Built Bars are. Maybe the best tasting protein bar out there. There's 16 different flavors and they're all just as good. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate with 8 different flavors containing nuts, 8 others without nuts, and all of them are going to have a lot of protein and not a lot of sugar and not a lot of net carbs. Roughly 110 to 170 calories on most of them, 15 grams of protein to 20 grams of protein, and you can expect under 5 grams of sugar on every single bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On for $10 off your first order. That's promo code Locked On, one word, for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. If you've had to repair your car in the past and did not use RockAuto.com, I have good news for you. It is a lot cheaper and a lot easier than it has been for you in the past. If you use RockAuto.com, you can save 30-50% on so many parts and the real thing is is it's just so much easier to navigate it's all online rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers for 20 years online go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers you'll save money you'll save time and you can use that money for more important things like mortgage and food instead of paying 30 to 50 percent more at a dealership or a retail store that's rockauto.com and let them know that locked on sent you in the how did you hear about us box so they know you came from us that's rockauto.com amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts you'll ever need rockauto.com so just like that we fill out 30 players into the roster and it seemed like it wasn't 30 but it shows how easy it is to fill up that maximum limit which is already expanded and will diminish after two weeks so it'll be even harder to figure out who the 28 guys are but for now fortunately we only have to decide on 30 and the 30th guy the last spot for me was Monte Harrison. Monte Harrison deserves a spot on this opening day roster. I said it before, and now I think it's more applicable than ever. Does he need to start on the first day? No. But what benefits does Monte Harrison have being on the taxi squad right now? He was putting up numbers in AAA last year before going down with an injury. He was ready to be called up maybe at the end of last year even, and nothing has really happened with Monte Harrison for us to believe that If he was ready at the end of last year, barring the injury, that he wouldn't be ready starting this year. He looked great in spring training. He was electric on the base paths, great defensively. So after putting up numbers in AAA last year and putting up numbers in the abbreviated spring training, what else does Monte Harrison have to show you to prove that he belongs on the opening day roster? There is nothing to gain by putting Monte Harrison on the taxi squad at this point. He already showed that he can hit high-level pitching. Let's see if he can hit the highest level of pitching in the major leagues. Now's the time to figure it out with this 60-game season, and I really hope that the Marlins decide to put him out there and see what he can do because he has earned that opportunity, and it'll be exciting to see if the Marlins have an all-star there in Monte Harrison, but at the very least, an electric player that's great on the base paths offers home run potential in the 20s to 30s, and great defensive player who continues to improve before our eyes. So let's see what he can do in the bigs. 
That being said, with the rosters then being cut to 28, is two weeks enough to figure out what the Marlins have with Monte Harrison? No, I don't think he should be moved off the roster at any point. I think he makes the 28-man roster, which is weird and confusing, right? Because he was the last guy I just named on the 30-man roster. But I think the Marlins have two weeks to figure out what they're going to do with Matt Kemp and Sean Rodriguez. Because right now, they're just taking up space. I hate to say it. I really like Matt Kemp. I've always been a fan of his. And Sean Rodriguez offers a lot in regards to utility and being a good super utility type of player for the Marlins. But they kind of have that in Jonathan Villar, given the fact that he is a little bit worse defensively. He offers still that defensive versatility. I think that makes Sean Rodriguez a little bit less essential. And if Rodriguez and Kemp are willing to accept an assignment to the taxi squad and come back up whenever somebody goes down or is injured, then that's the obvious move when the roster cuts down to 28, assuming that there are no injuries. Two weeks is not enough to really, truly assess a player. But are you going to use a quick judgment on one of your young guys? For example, if Lewis Brinson is struggling through two weeks, are you going to say, here we go again and call it quits? No, he's going to get more than two weeks of an opportunity to prove himself. Same with Isan Diaz. So the guys that really are going to suffer from the forced decisions on short-term results are going to be the veterans because there's less for the Marlins to lose in that regard. Why stunt a player's growth or really take at-bats away from him after struggling for two weeks, which is, you know, won't even be 14 games. I'm assuming it'll be like 13 games rather than just saying sorry to one of the veterans and calling it a day with Sean Rodriguez or Matt Kemp because there's so many prospects that can fill that role on the bench or even in the lineup that are knocking on the door. And one of them or two of them should be able to hold their own if let's say Lewis Brinson is struggling or Eisen Diaz is struggling or even Monte Harrison is struggling, there still are a number of prospects in the Marlins organization that can fill in. And another guy that really hasn't proved that he deserves a starting spot the entire season is Jesus Aguilar. The Marlins have Lewin Diaz knocking on the door as well, and I fully expect him to make his debut this year. I don't know if he cracks the 30-man roster on opening day, but he should make his way to the bigs one way or another, whether someone is hurt or the Marlins decide to make a trade. I do think that Harold Ramirez could be another avenue for the Marlins to open a roster spot up by trading him to a team that may not have that outfield depth and might need a speedster that can swing the stick a little bit and offer some pop to the lineup with some excitement on the base paths. As for the rotation, where can the Marlins open up a roster spot there? I don't see any of those guys moving out of the rotation unless they are mightily struggling. But Jose Urania needs to be gone as soon as possible. And I'm really sorry for saying that. I have nothing against Jose Urania, but at this point, he's not much different than Matt Kemp because he's just a veteran that is taking up space. He's not part of the future, and he's just in the way of guys like Sixto Sanchez, Nick Neidert, or Edward Cabrera making their debuts. If you can only have 13 pitchers and one of them is Jose Urania and not Sixto Sanchez, there's a problem. While that's okay for the beginning of the season, I think that the Marlins need to showcase Urania with a couple of starts. Hopefully he puts up some good numbers and shows that he can throw a little bit. Or maybe the Marlins decide to move Urania to the bullpen and that pushes somebody out of the pen. But that's a whole different 
conundrum in a way because the Marlins bullpen seems pretty steady as is. But I think the guys that could be on the way out, if you will, that would eventually open up spots for the guys knocking on the door like Sixto Sanchez, Nick Neidert, Edward Cabrera, Luis Diaz, Jorge Guzman, Alex Fessia, who all of them could make their debuts this year. Jose Urania's got to be candidate number one. If Adam Conley continues to struggle, that's candidate number two. And then Robert Duggar's in the bullpen right now, but maybe he starts throwing pretty well. The Marlins could go ahead and trade him. We don't know what the Marlins are going to do in that regard because who saw the Zach Gallen trade coming? I mean, the Marlins ultimately realized they had a surplus of starting pitching and capitalized on it and brought in Jazz Chisholm, which is looking like a really good move for them. They could do the same thing to a lesser degree with some of these other depth pieces, but why sell low right now? Maybe in those two weeks, Urania has two solid outings, and maybe that's enough to up his draft or trade stock, excuse me, a little bit. I'm still in draft mode in my head right now. Maybe it's not. I mean, are teams going to be more likely to jump on short-term results, or are we just going to see not a lot of trades at all this year? That's going to be something that we're going to have to see how the dominoes fall. But the way I look at it at this point is if Jose Urania is not throwing well and you can't get anything from him in the trade market, he's almost worthy of a release because I would much rather get Sixto Sanchez the opportunity to throw. But after a couple starts and whatever the Marlins decide to do, after three, four, maybe even five starts of Jose Urania, which would be stretching it out, I think, at that point, he needs to be on the move, whether it is on waivers or hopefully a trade where the Marlins can net what they can get. As for the bullpen, Conley, as I've said a few times, is a prime candidate to either be released or traded unless he really starts tossing well. But even if he is tossing well, I think that's a guy that you might want to capitalize and sell high on because of the volatility of relievers and what we've seen in the past. Could Caleb Smith be on the move? That's a possibility, too. We've heard some rumors around there and teams calling on guys like Pablo Lopez or even Jordan Yamamoto. I mean, again, Zach Gallen was not expected to be traded and he was sent out. Would it surprise me to see any of those guys not named Sandy Alcantara traded? Really, at this point, I don't think anything would surprise me. And all of them could make sense for the Marlins to open up an opportunity for Sixto Sanchez, who I believe is more than ready, and Nick Neidert, who the Marlins need to see at this point what they have in him as well. That's the big thing about this season and why it's so big that it's just happening, period, is not whatever happens with the Marlins in the win-loss column, is it's an opportunity for them to figure out amidst this middle-of-the-rebuild type of spot that they're in what they have and what they should do moving forward. And while 60 games is not an ideal timeline to figure that out, it's better than nothing. And to answer some of the questions now that I got on Twitter, uh, Danny, of course, firing a great question away right away. And do I believe they should have an aggressive approach in a shortened season with prospect debuts? I've kind of touched on that already. And the answer is yes and no, right? With Monte Harrison, Yes, more aggressive, because I wouldn't have had him maybe in the opening day lineup right away, but I would have had him up pretty early in the season. Now I think you got him in the opening day lineup right away. Same with Sixto Sanchez. He might have been making his debut a little bit later. Now I expedite that. At the very least, I'm putting him in the bullpen and getting him an opportunity to throw some innings against big league hitters because Sixto Sanchez can handle the bullpen. We saw Jesus Lazardo do something similar at the end of last year, except that's a guy that's a potential 
all-star starting pitcher with ace potential. There's nothing wrong with starting in the bullpen and easing him in and maybe lower leverage situations and seeing how he does when he gets his feet wet. So I'd be more aggressive with those blue chippers. But that being said, I'm not going to force some of these guys that aren't as close and really just for the sake of saying, I want to see what they can do because they're not playing a minor league season. While there are a lot of guys I want to see what they're what they're capable of, I would be perfectly fine with Jorge Guzman not pitching an inning in the bigs this year. I think that would be rushed for him. He is not really showing the command that he needs to show. He's giving up too many bombs. He's giving up too much offense, and he's walking too many hitters and not striking out enough batters. Really, it just checks all the boxes for a guy that's not ready. I'm not going to expedite Jorge Guzman for the sake of just seeing what he can do. Guys like Luan Diaz, I think he might be ready. He might be another type of player where I push it a little bit more, but I don't think much changes for Luan Diaz. The case for him was always wait and see how Jesus Aguilar does and then go from there. If Jesus Aguilar is struggling, I think the same rule applies. It'll just be a little bit quicker this time where the Marlins will decide to maybe call up Luan Diaz and move Aguilar to the bench. That could be a distinct possibility. Somebody asked if I which prospects in the top 10 I see. All of those guys I named, I see making a debut. Outside of those guys, I really don't see, of course, there's no chance J.J. Bleday makes a debut. Max Meyer, Braxton Garrett, Trevor Rogers, Connor Scott. None of those players will be making their debuts this year. You could make the case for Jazz Chisholm towards the end, especially if the Marlins are out of contention. But no reason to rush Jazz Chisholm either. He started to make really good strides last year and improve on that strikeout rate, but you don't want to stunt his growth as he's just starting to build confidence. Well, I do really want to see what Jazz Chisholm does. I'm fine with him getting reps in the taxi squad and then maybe making his debut at the end of the year. But other than that, none of the other prospects really have a chance to me. Edward Cabrera could be a great option if he looks good at the start of whatever we see in this intra-squad type of setting. But I'm fine with not pitching Edward this year or towards the end of the year too. Sixto to me is a lot more ready, has that more advanced command, while Edward has maybe the higher ceiling at this point with his stuff. Sixto is more big league ready. Edward might be towards the end of the year, but I do see him making his debut at some point this year. That's about it for me at this point. I don't think anybody else is necessarily ready. I would like to see what Alex Vesia has, and that's the thing too, is if Conley is gone, that would be a great opportunity for Vesia, or if Tarpley isn't what the Marlins thought he would be, that would be a great opportunity for him as well. All in all, we don't really know what's going to happen. It's going to be a lot different than normal for a lot of reasons. Do teams want to go all in on a 60-game season? I don't think so. But it doesn't mean teams won't make trades. I think it's teams are going to make more careful trades, and trades more focused on the future like the Zach Gallen swap we saw, where it wasn't the Diamondbacks saying, let's win now, but they capitalized on an opportunity where the Marlins had a surplus of pitching, the Diamondbacks didn't see Jazz Chisholm as the future of their middle infield, and so the Marlins made a swap with a team that I don't think anybody quote-unquote wins the trade because both players could very well be solid big leaguers for the foreseeable future. While the Marlins may have a higher ceiling on the trade, it's a safer move for the D-backs who needed some pitching. That's the type of deals you might start seeing here is not as much teams overpaying for a rental 
which would really benefit the Marlins as it did to acquire Lewin Diaz. I don't think we see moves like that, but we will see solid moves where teams will be investing in their future or controllable pieces where you are making a move beyond this year. Or you could also see teams willing to make additions on the cheap, which would be a prime candidate of Jose Urania, where teams want to acquire some starting pitching, but they're not going to give up legitimate prospect capital for a 60-game season where technically could end at any given moment if cases break out or something horrible happens, which I hate to say. So I don't see teams really going all in on this season, but I could see the Marlins maybe making a low-key swap here or there with a Robert Duggar, Elizia Hernandez, or Jose Urania. As for the bench, it's mostly going to be internal unless it's Harold Ramirez who is on the move. I really can't see anybody else really netting a return unless a team really needs a utility guy like John Birdie. Other than that, I'm excited to see what the decisions are moving forward and how this taxi squad will be assembled. But as I said earlier, I see it as a mix of some veterans that are kind of quadruple A guys and then top prospects who the Marlins want to get their feet wet and then some top prospects that are close to the big leagues. Will be cool to see. Excited that baseball is back. Continue to let me know what you think of the podcast, what you think of my opinions. If you agree, disagree, fire at me at LockedOnMarlins on Twitter or at RMWaitin8. And please leave a rating on iTunes. Let me know how I'm doing. I really appreciate it. It's always great to see whatever feedback I can get. It really helps me out, and I appreciate you guys listening as always. I'll talk to you guys soon as we inch closer to baseball season, believe it or not. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.